Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Wednesday afternoon. Like I said, I'm playing catch-up. I want to take a look at the Parsha today, which is being sponsored by a very complicated Parsha by uh, Michelle Mepstein and family. I know he's a longtime listener and correspondent, so... Um, there, and I asked him, you know, what's the occasion or whatever, and it turns out it's for the yard site, coming up yard site of his wife's grandfather, which is the famous Rabbi Schwab on Muncie. Uh, some of us remember, I remember a little bit, he must have died uh, 35 years ago, something like that. Um, remember that. This is the brother of Rabbi Schwab from, from Washington Heights, of course. And uh, let me see, he's his yard site, yard site. Uh, uh, by the end of this week, grandfather and my wife, and of Mrs. Nechama Luxembourg. He was known as a tzaddik, and he was called a tzaddik of Muncie. I kind of remember that. Muncie, Shmir Salashan was legendary, as known that if he had to hear something for Tawellis, he completely forgot it. Okay, I guess you have to work on yourself to, to, to hit that. <laughs> um, he used the Goral Agron sometimes. Hmm. And it came from the Mir Yeshiva. The Muncie Yeshivas where Brother Rabbi Shimashua brought him. So these are German Jews who, in the 20s and 30s, Went to learn literature yeshivas. I think he, I think he was in Shanghai, if I remember correctly, and he considered Baruch Bear his rebbe. He had many hardships with Nevelim Dimshel, stress and others. And Mishalmi was saying, I spent Shabbos with him. He spent the entire time looking up a difficult Shmir Saloshin question that someone asked him. Well, okay, so uh, we're honored <laughs> that it's in that yard site of a famous person. <clears throat> now, uh, now I feel bad because if you can't say any Loshin Har, you cannot do the story of the Golden Calf. Right, so uh, I, right, uh, it's very confusing because th- this parsha altogether is very confusing, and what I find most people do, I've done it also, is you flip around. For this pasuk you go with Rashi, for that pasuk you use the uh, Ramban, for a third pasuk you go with Eben Ezra, then you use a Medjur somewhere. In other words, there's so many rough edges that you, it's hard to construct in my mind anyway, a single clear narrative. Uh, of what exactly happened. Uh, it's a very embarrassing episode, the fact that the Bnei Yisrael made the Egel Azov, as we all know. It's, in fact, the most embarrassing episode in our history. That's what we hold theologically. And um, the story's very confused because, as I talked about this ladies' class this morning, because I have a Wednesday morning in my show, you know, as soon as Moshe's up there getting the, the tablets, I mean, Vayichal takes place before he breaks the tablets. All the way away, still at the top, downstairs, they made a golden calf and started carrying on and so forth. And carrying on means, you know, partying and gila rashpichadom v'razara, again, gila rashpichadom v'razara. And Hashem tells Moshe, you don't know this, but downstairs is bad news. Shiche samcha. And uh, it's at that point that Moshe says, don't kill him. So in other words, the famous Vayichal takes place chronologically before he descends the mountain. So... Like a good lawyer, you know, Moshe already knows that they're not going to be killed by the time he gets down there. He just has to work on the resentment, the divine resentment. So I'm just an example of how confusing the narrative is. More importantly, <coughs> more importantly, 
there are two, there are more than two, but there are at least two, at least two mahalachs um, that, that, uh, that you see employed here by the different mafarshim who all lived at different times and places and were subject to different influences. One is like this. The Jews did it and get over it. And if it's a busha and a cherpa, it is. And, you know, I think there's a Gemara and Megillah. Um, I can't remember exactly. But it's sometimes it's good that the seaboard feels embarrassment. You know, that brings a, 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 a shame is a good thing. Uh, the sign of a good family is the kid did something wrong and he feels bad about it. <clears throat> Not a pathological liar like you see so many times. Uh, and so the one way reading the parish is, look, the Jews screwed up. It was a terrible business. Every year we read it again. We say this is our, our Bubbies and Zadies from long ago. It happened. It's terrible. And we should learn from this not to do it. You know what I'm saying? If you want to play it differently, you say, look how great God's mercy was. You know, something like that. In other words, you own it. You own it. We did it. And uh, as a matter of fact, it evoked an extraordinary grace. Hashem Shem El Racham Rabchesim Emmis and so forth. And uh, you know, all that happened, and maybe it triggered the building of a Mishkan, and so on and so forth. So you say we did it, and uh, it's not that we move on, because actually you don't move on. That's the whole point of repeating every year. You don't move on. Khatasi Negdi Summit, like Dovinel says. Khatasi Negdi Summit. That's a sign of uh, of a spiritual maturity. Okay? Hold on for a second. <laughs> Right? You know, in other words, like I said before, you know, you, you own it. Okay? Now, um, that's one way of looking at it. And then you say like this, who did it? The whole Kali Yisrael, or, 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 or most. I mean, not everybody. Uh, you're not going to say to every single person, I'm Aaron, didn't do it, you know what I mean? You know what I mean when I say that. None of an Aviyah didn't do it. They were Sadiqim. Okay? Um, but, uh, it happened, and there was a punishment, and maybe we still bear the punishment today, and, you know, we learn from it, okay? Uh, you learn from the mistakes of the past, hopefully. Then there's an entirely different set of, uh, of uh, so I repeat, the whole Claudius Wall of Rubica Kulu did it, and it was terrible, and, you know, they eventually got forgiven, at least somewhat, and we move on. Now I'll tell you a completely different way of understanding the Parsha. The heir of Rob did it. <laughs> you get it? The heir of Rob did it. Here, let me get a Rashi here. Yeah, here we go. Let me find these Rashi. There's a lot of strategic Rashi all over the place. Not that I'm such a big Rashi person. That's a concern of mine. But uh, I was in uh, Florida and all the rest. I had nothing to do. So I only could do the Schneimaker with the with the Rashi on the on my phone. And so it's ironic. So if I saw all the Rashis, or a lot of them. <clears throat> Look at this. You know, Mo Aaron says that... Um, how did the eagle happen? So, you know, when, Ra, when, when later on, Aaron says, I poured the, oil, uh, the, 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 the gold into the, to the furnace, and out popped the eagle, right? Out popped the eagle. So it sounds like, is a is, is a magic? Let me put it this way. <laughs> if I were Aaron, and I poured a, you know, a couple buckets of gold, gallons of gold, into a big fiery furnace, and then out popped an ankle as off. Whoa, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> that that's a god of some, or that's something. Right? I mean, did it happen like that? And you know, 
I think, again, the Gemara Megillah somewhere says that there are these parshas that you're Nikra Metargum and parshas that you're not Metargum. You know what I mean? In the old days when they would read the Torah and the people didn't know the Hebrew and they would translate and explain it, but there's certain parts that are embarrassing you don't explain or could be misleading. And one of them is, I remember, I think the, the, the first eagle or the second eagle, it's in the Mishnah there. It's, but when it says by eight eagle Azeh, when you translate it, people living in the audience in the time of the Mishnah will say, wow, it must have been something to it. He threw in the bucket and out popped the eagle. So, you know, it must have been uh, um, some kind of divinity, you see? So the point is, how do you explain that? And Rashi famously says, there are different ways of looking at it. One is, once they threw the, 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 the gold, which was melting in the furnace, then then these magicians, who were these sorcerers and magicians, from among the Erev Rav, who accompanied Jews out of Egypt, and then the Taka turned it magically. So it was a Kishif. Now, let me tell you something. Then you can't blame the Jews at that time. You get it? I mean, you got to be in a high madriga not to believe the evidence of your eyes. Right? You, you see what I'm saying? The guy poured in thing and out popped Diego. <laughs> Looks like it. Don't tell me from your standpoint today, a thousand years later, that you know, you know, all this stuff. Look at from their point at that time. He poured in the thing, out popped an ego. How the heck did that happen? <laughs> you know? Now, by the way, if you learn like that, so the guy made it. The Mechashi Rav. Which, incidentally, is how a lot, that's one school of interpretation. And it's just interesting to me that the Rambam, of all people, famously says that. I think because the Rambam, I think, this is just my opinion, the Rambam lived in Muslim countries, and I see the Roshanim who lived in the Muslim countries and had a lot of shaykhs with Islam, like Sadiqon and like the Rambam. They engaged a lot with the Islamic stuff, and a major theory to Islam is the Jews did an unbelievable sin and killed their prophets and made a golden calf, which is true, and therefore that shows, according to Islam, that God rejected us, etc., etc., and the Jews want to come back on, against that. So one of the easiest ways of getting around that you know, because I, 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 I'm not an expert theologian. I imagine the Middle Ages to say, yeah, we did it, but God forgave us anyway. That shows the, the, the greatness of God's love of us. That wouldn't work for a Muslim. You understand? I think the Arabs, they wouldn't cop that. They say the Jews are just full of it, and God rejected them. But if you tie it, we never made it. It was the, the, the Goyim who made it. So then that excuses us. The Jews are still the chosen people, and they didn't kill anybody. They didn't make anything. And the Rambam, very famous. I happen to remember this, you know. I don't know the old Rambam, but I remember this one, which is in Isuri Bia, where it talks about Shlomo Melch and Shimshan, and whether they married Geisha wives or converted them or not converted them. And the answer is they had a uh, 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 conversion, you know. And uh, 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 let's put, the, you know, they are Jewish, but it's, uh, 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 you know, but they're bad. They don't, they're not really Jewish. And referring to those Gerim, now I want to emphasize, he's not talking about a Gerit Sedek at all. I've said this many, many times. Garrett said he's a very high madrego. And he's not talking about a regular Gair who, for whatever reasons, they converted to Judaism, you know, maybe for marriage, maybe for whatever the reason was, but they do keep everything. So they're just fine. You get it? They're fine. But then you have this third uh, madrego of uh, 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 in which, you know, they said they're going to keep it, they don't keep it, they're halfway in and out. And 
the Rambam famously says at the end of the 13th chapter of Yisuribiya, referring to these, that these people are like a negat saras for us. Because most of them go back. Right? I mean, no, they only convert for ulterior motives. And they go and and then they re- retreat from believing in Judaism. No, they don't keep the mitzvahs anymore. They don't keep uh, what they're supposed to keep. And they mislead Kla Yisrael. Notice they cause the other Jews to go off the derech. It's hard to get rid of them because they are they were Megayer. That's the import. It's like it's like the tar baby. Say Ulamad, the Ramam goes on to say, Mashir Bamidbar Bamaiseho Egal. Ding ding ding, hear that? Say Ulamad Mashir Bamidbar Bamaiseho Egal, or Bakirvis Ataiva Rubinus Hoasafsuf Hai Ben Batrila. That it was the air of Rob that did it. So he's going so it's funny because there's not a word of that in the Chumash. Right, there's no reference to that whatsoever. And by the way, it's a movie and a half. That's my miniseries, The Egyptian Sorcerer. Listen closely to what I'm telling you. If you tie into this, you're saying quite something quite remarkable. There was a guy, or more than one, who were not just Egyptian Goyim who joined the Jewish people on the way out of Egypt, but they're mamish at the top of the Egyptian society. They were Mechashvim, right? They were to Kishav. Now, if you're Kishav, why would you fall? Because when Pesach came, that's what it's got to mean. When it came by Hiba of a Elohim then there was like a, a boom in the minds of many intelligent Egyptians, and they chopped what was unchoppable until then, which is there's only one God, and all this other stuff is just Keshav, it's not real, and you know, the, and, and, and Hashem controls everything. You know, saying, Ain't no Milvado. And uh, all the stuff they do in Kishib is like a subordinate business. That must be an eye-opener to them. I repeat, if you're a, a, an Egyptian sorcerer, that means like you say to PhD or something like that, you know, high level in Egypt. And if you're into Kishif, which they were, you know, it was a black magic thing, they really were, if, you know, if you can break an eagle pop out, that's pretty good. So they, what's the right word? They, they understood how to master the supernatural. And I'm sure, as Egyptians, as Goyim, they grew up believing in the supernatural. And probably they believed that, you know, there are a lot of forces out there, and magic consists of finding the right moment to manipulate the forces, whatever it is, you know, the existing stuff out there. But there's no one God, Mamish. And then comes by Hiba Chatzia Laila, Vashem Mikol B'chorber Sintzrayim, V'chol Elohim Yitzrayim Eseh Shvatim. And these sorcerers, who lived a good life in Egypt, Again, they're at the top of the society. They lived a good life. It's eye-opener. And they said, we've been following a lie. And these Jewish slaves, even though they're low-class slaves, for whatever reason, there's a God of everything. Enon Milvado, and he likes him, and he's helping him to take him out of Egypt. I want to be part of that, says the Egyptian sorcerer. And so here you have a Kishof guy. It's just a movie, you know, who departs Egypt with Moses and the Israelites, marches around with them for seven weeks until Shavuos, is present at Maimar Har Sinai, sees Hashem Bechvod of or whatever, you know, as much of the human being can see. You get it? Uh, notice they're undergoing a major transformative experience. 
I would say, imagine you were Harsinah, but we can't even imagine Harsinah. And these Egyptian sorcerers, or ex-sorcerers, what do you want to call it, are there. And they're just blown away. And then, when the Ten Commandments are finished pronouncing, Moshe goes up in the mountain into the Arafel and the, and, and the fire. And they're, they're there 40 days and 40 nights with the, with the you know, Arafel and all that stuff. Uh, 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 you know, blowing away, banging away, burbling away, whatever it's doing. And then on the 40th day, they say, oh, let's, oh, you're pouring oil into a, a pot. Let's make an eagle out of it. <laughs> it doesn't make no sense to me, right? Unless you say, you know, once a magician, always a magician. You know what I'm saying? You know, how's the expression go? You can take, uh, you can take Santa Claus out of Virginia. You can't take Virginia out of Santa Claus. I think it's like that, you know. Yeah. No, there's one, well, once an Egyptian, always an Egyptian. Once a sorcerer, always a sorcerer. Even, but it's, that's quite a story. Because if anybody went through an unbelievable set of experiences, it would be these guys. The Rambam that I just read you would be tining, not like I just said. He said they left Egypt because they were just impressed and everybody was doing gold and silver. In other words, it was a uh, 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 conversion. Because the conversion that I described a minute ago was a real and sincere conversion because they were blown away by the ten plagues. Which who wouldn't be by Heba Chatsi Alila? Who, you know, you, you know what I mean, right? Adir who, you know, it's, it's, it's just amazing what they saw. So these guys, so again, these guys saw the, the templates, then they saw the Makas Bechoros, then they saw the Kriyas Yamsuf, and Par of Yarviyam, and then they crossed the desert and they saw the Mun, and then they saw the Be'er, and then they saw Mamher Sinai, and then, you know, ain't nothing better to do. Let's do a little kishif and pop out of Egel so everybody can worship it. It like boggles the imagination. So that's one mahalach. But Yeshom and Rashi goes on to say, another opinion, Micha Yeshom, and from Alei Shur. So that's a completely different story. If Micha did it, you know the story, he was the baby in the brick and all that, and I know you know that. So that's a completely different story, right? That's a different story. That's Alei Shur. So that would say the Jews didn't get over it. So right at the core of the story we have these huge differences on how to interpret it, and it's come two completely different speeches. You understand? Two completely different narratives and accounts of the nature of the sin. Because if it's true that you know the air rob is the only one who did it, so then what's the big you know what's what's the big spiel? Um, it sounds like a relatively small number of people, maybe three thousand. You know, later on they kill three thousand. I want to talk about that in a minute, by the way. He says, so, if, I mean, from, from a million people, several million people, 3,000 uh, 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 converts, you know, gayrim, gurim, whatever you want to call it, ex-cons, ex-sorcerers, worship a golden calf, that'd be a big deal. What's the whole business? Why is Hashem say I want to wipe everybody out? It don't make no sense. At least it doesn't make any sense to me. Let's put it that way. I'm not the smartest person. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it's, it, it's a strange business. At least, that's what it seems pretty clear to me. It's a strange business. Now, in addition, you have in the description, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I don't want to go for too long. But uh, did you notice where um, Aaron says, You know, he's trying to delay me. He says, get the jewelry from your wives. <laughs> Aaron figured like that. This they're not going to give up so easily. You have a lot of domestic quarrels. She'll nag. He'll scream. They'll fight each other. And this and meanwhile, take up some time. <laughs> that that was Aaron's plan. Obviously, you know, ask your wife to give up her crown jewels. 
you know, her wedding uh, presents and things like this. She'll scream, you'll scream, the kids will get involved, you know, the daughters will say, hey, don't give away our dowry. You know Jews, right? And meanwhile, you'll consume 10, 20 hours. By then, Moshe will show up. That seems to be a plan. Of course, it didn't turn out like that. I'm not the world's greatest expert on diktuk. Um, and I'll leave this for Donnie Rose, maybe in his, uh, you know, uh, whatever it's called, uh, Sof Pasuk a, a podcast, he'll deal with it. But what kind of a language is in uh, Lamed Bey's uh, Dalit, I get Gimel. Listen closely. So how do you translate that? You don't have to be the greatest grammarian in the world. You know, you have something funny over here. Because Vayis Parku is Hispael. Right? Hispael is reflexive, generally speaking. Not always. I'm aware. It's true. You know, there are exceptions to these things. There really are. Especially in the Kalanifal Piyopol business. That is true. But generally, it's like that. And why is the Torah right in this kind of language? Vayis Parku. I mean, if you forced me or paid me, I could give a translation. And I'm looking here at the art scroll, and they'll say, the people removed the golden rings that were in their ears. But that's not exactly what it says. I think the people listening to this podcast, most of them, understand enough Hebrew to hear the strangeness of the grammatical forms that you find every once in a while in the Chumash. It makes no sense. Vayis parku kol ha'om hazov asher If the people took off, removed the earrings, it should say vayifriku kol ha'om esnizmei hazov kol Isn't that right? I was po'reik the 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 nezamazov. In other words, it's it's a call, you know. The the, the verb is the people um, removed. Vayifriku like porik masa something like that. Vayifriku kolam es nizmi name. That's the right way to say it in Hebrew, as far as I can see. Es nizmi hashibas name. What is vayis parku? Do do you hear what I'm saying? Vaisparku means the Vaisparku Kolaam. How should I put this? There is no subject of a reflexive verb. You can't say Vaisparku Kolaam S. It's like I say, Animitabed S. You know, I'm killing myself, the. You know, there's no object of, of this. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be technical or anything, just plain Hebrew. Vaisparku Kolaam, I should say. Um, Vaisparku Kolaam? It, 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 it's kind of weird. Uh, now, I know, who was it? And Rashi says, Lashem Prikas Maso. That doesn't answer the question at all. But it, why is it in this reflexive form? Uh, it's strange. It could say like this, Vaisparku Nizme Hazov Asher name. That would be a Gvaldigam shot. That would mean that magically the earrings flew off. That works. The nizme azov on the ears, nisparek, you know, disassembled, flew off. The people are the ones doing it. So they're the, uh, you know, the subject. Vaisparku is the verb. S is telling you what the object is. Do you hear? It's, it, it's strange. Uh, it, it, it just, it, it just is. S.D. Rothberg said, Vaisparku called the people fell apart. You know, they had that's a nice Hasidic 
shot. The spark will come. The people dissolved. They lost it, as we say in English. They lost it. That's like a, like I say, a nice chassidism shot. And I mean that not to be funny, but that what's what's the plane shot? Now I saw what's his name tries to you know explain it was um, Shadal, who's a you know Mister uh, Dickduck and so forth. I mean he really is you know Mister Dickduck, and um, what did he say? I saw it somewhere, uh, and he said it's accusative or something like that. Yeah, here it is. But he's sparkle and this means you know Shadal is. Is a super fanatic on the dictum. Parko mealeim hanazamim. The mealehem means from on them. They removed the rings on them. Well, that doesn't work. Hanazamim heim accusative. Really, accusative just means the object of the uh, 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 the direct object of the of the of the verb. Hispael kolel accusative. I know uh, that's not true. Well, he knows more than I do. I'm simply calling attention. To a strange formula, which probably means something, okay? <clears throat> probably means something. And so you see all these funny little uh, details over here. Uh, and even later on, Aaron says, I told the people, his paraku, Vayitnuli. His paraku removed him. Pirku, I should say. Pirku, Vayitnuli. But okay, whatever it is. And then you have, to my mind, what is even stranger. Which is Moshe comes down, he sees Aaron, he cusses him out. You know, uh, uh, Aaron says, "Listen, I threw it in, and I'll pop the ego." Now, of course, I just want to be clear: you can read it. You know, that, that's the way you and I automatically, you know, read it in a rationalistic fashion. Which is, I threw it in, it, it, we molded it, and out in the end, popped out the uh, the 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 uh, the ego. Which would then mean Aaron said, "Listen, I fashioned for the menegel by You know, I did it. I threw in the 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 the, the gold in the in the furnace, and however you mold it, that's what I did. But that's not what. It, no, it doesn't use those words. It's a vayitzegalazel. So then it says, "Vayar Moshe saom ki paruhu." Moshe took a look at the people. They were parua, uh, which usually is explained as exposed, wild. Ki fro Aaron l'shem sabakomeim. Very hard pasuk to translate. Kifarao Aharon, Aaron had paruadem l'shimsa b'kameim. Shimsa usually means disgrace. Kameim. What does that mean? You know, art school. He translates those who rise against him. L'shim. Uh, see, see, what I'm trying to say. When you actually take the trouble to look at the parsha, here, just stop for a second to pull out Ari Kaplan. See, see what it says. As always, he he's always like wild. Interpretation. Vayar Moshe Esam Ki Paruahu Ki Froar L'Shem Tzibakameim Check this out. I mean, this is most unusual. Moses, this is Ari Kaplan. Moses realized that the people had actually been restrained. Huh? Well, that's that's a different, that's a different shot. Uh, Aaron had restrained them doing only a small part of what the outspoken ones had demanded. L'Shem Tzibakameim How do you get that from this? How do you do that? And I'm looking at the notes at the bottom. They've been restrained or exposed or exposed to harm or undisciplined. That's the usual way. Or unrestrained or going the wrong way. Look at the radically different modes of interpretation of the translation of the word. Doing only a small part. Kifra'o around the shimsa Doing a small part 
or as to be derided, outspoken ones or enemies, had demanded. Or Moses saw the people been exposed, for Aaron exposed them, and their subject derision of their enemies. That's the way Rashi learned it. Shimsa B'Kameh means they, they look like a disgrace in front of those who want to attack them. Or Moses saw the people in restraint, since Aaron had showed their lack of restraint when they stood up against him. That's Hirsch. Or Moses saw the people going the wrong way because Aaron had allowed them to revert. That's Radak. You, you see what I'm saying? This Parsha is actually chock full of these weird psukim that ain't so push it. Now, you can take the easy way, just read the art scroll. You know, I mean, I get that. That's okay. Get to Stone Columbus, no problem. But if you really want to get sink your teeth into it and find out what's going on in this Parsha, it ain't so push it. Now, here comes even the weirder part. So what happens? Moses stands at the gateway to camp. Who's on my team? And all the Bnei Levi gathered him. And Moshe says, as we all know, Everybody get a sword. Like you say, did he get a gun? Run through the camp. And kill everybody. Your brother, your friend, and your fellow man near you. What is that? What is that? Now hold on for a second. Mind you, he just, this is after Vayechal, where Moshe said, don't kill him. Lama Yimragoyim. What's all this? And the Bnei Levi didn't kill 3,000. Like I say, Pashim Shad is the whole Kali Yisrael, or a big portion of them were involved in this. Why? What's with the 3,000? Now, again, there are those who say that real, you know, this is the apologetic uh, uh, mode of uh, Bible criticism, uh, Bible interpretation. I'm serious. And you'll say, actually, there's a very small number of people that did it, and they killed those once. Although Moshe doesn't say those words. Moshe doesn't say, get, get a sword, and here's a list of the guys that did it. Now, Sadi going, I haven't remembered this from the Kuzari. I think Kuzri also says it, that, you know, Aaron Taka kept a list, and like a hit, hit list. They want to see who, who worshipped the calf, and afterwards he told them who to kill. A very Islamic. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Arabs do that. It's like, you know, they have these parties and they kill everybody in the parties. That's how the Abbasid dynasty wiped out the Umayyad dynasty. They went, came, took them to a banquet and they killed everybody at the banquet. Muhammad Ali did that at the Khedive of e Egypt in 1905, I think, or something like that, with the Mamluks. I mean, you know, that's how they do business in the Middle East. But it don't sound like that. Moshe doesn't say, come and, I mean, Yehu did this. You know, Yehu did this to the Baal worshippers. So why didn't Moshe say like this? This is what I would do if I were Moshe. Oh, you want to wipe this out? Say, I'm going to do a Yehu. Let's get a big party. It's going to be a serious party. It's going to be a wild and crazy time. All the Eagles of people show up. And then at the right moment, you tell the B'nai Levi, who's been alerted beforehand, come in and kill everybody. And then at one shot, you wipe out all the Eagles of worshippers. But that's what it says. Right? And, um, and he praised them and so forth. What is that all about? What is going on over there? Now, a lot of these Mepharshim, I remember over the years, come from a strictly legalistic perspective, which is always funny to me, but I get it. If you're Talmudically inclined, you're always looking from a halachic perspective. Halachically, how can you go and kill people without Adam and Hasra and this and that and the other? The Ramban and the Parsha talks about this. Understand? And not saying that it was emergent Harashah and things of this nature. It's, it's it's wild and crazy. But I'll tell you one even better. Moshe says to the people, God said, everybody get a sword and go kill people. When did God say that? I mean, you're with me in the Parsha. 
Moshe was up on the mountain. He got the Ten Commandments. Then God said, go down. They screwed up. They made, they, they corrupted sheet. And I'm going to kill him. And Vayichal Moshe and blah, blah, blah. You know, Moshe, Vayinochem Hashem That's the end of that. And then Moshe goes down the mountain. And he breaks the tablets on his own accord, as we all know. And here it says, Hashem said, get a sword and kill people right and left. He didn't say kill 3,000 people. He said, kill everybody you see. Run from one end of the camp to the other. So basically, it's like, you know, <laughs> get, get a machine gun and drive down, I don't know, you know, 13th Avenue. It's all, just shoot everybody you see. You see? Isha, see, Isha, Krobo. And, you know, Ocean Parkway, just drive down the thing and shoot everybody you see. What is that? Okay? Second of all, where does Hashem say that? Now, it's very interesting to me that one, what do you do Here's an outstanding example of something I've spoken about before, like in Parshish Bo. A lot of times, Hashem will say one thing, and Moshe doesn't simply act as a tape recorder and a robot and repeat verbatim what God said. Moshe says it over in his own words, which is interesting, because who gave you the authority to do that? I thought Shekhinah Madame Vital Grunash Moshe, that when Moshe was, the Ramam tries to say that in his Hakdama to the, to the you know, Parakhalik over there, uh, is that where it is? Yeah, I think the Akdama Perikhalik. You know, with the, with the 13 uh, Animamans, right? In the original Nusa, Moshe, Moshe like a robot. But you see, it's not true. Because a whole bunch of times, Hashem says one thing, and Moshe rephrases it in his own way. Um, it certainly seems that way. Now, over here, when did Hashem say, go kill everybody? You could answer me, and give a very firm answer, and say like this. If Moshe said it, he said it. You know, Moshe was ready 24-7. He wasn't like the other Novis. He got instant, uh, you know, Twitters. And, you know, he, and, and, and you know, Moshe's there in the camp and he saw the, the Eglah of and immediately got a, a Facebook, a Twitter. And from Hashem, I said, he, he, get a, get, everybody should get a knife and, and kill everybody. So it wasn't Omar in the sense, like you and I talk with a voice box, but it never is. When Vayam Hashem Moshe, it doesn't mean Hashem spoke with a voice. You know? It communicated with him. So, I don't have to... I'll take Moshe's word for it. After all, the whole point of my mind I've seen it was to prove that when Moshe says these things, he's telling the truth. That's what it says. Okay. But the Chazal don't do that. Rashi doesn't do that. Rashi says, where was it said? Right? Look at the Rashi over there. Where, where was it said... And the answer is So in Parshat Mishpatim it says Anybody who offers a sacrifice to another god um, gets destroyed. And so I'm applying that. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a very interesting Rashi because what it means is like this. When he said It's not literally true. Meaning God did not say those words. It's true in the sense that Hashem said, and I'm interpreting it now for this specific situation where they goes off, that everybody should get a gun and just start killing everybody right and left. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't take it as literal verbatim truth. God did not say, even though he uses the words, which sounds like I'm about to give you a quote, but it turns out it's not a quote. It's, it's just very interesting. You know, Hashem said, basically, the way to translate it, according to Rashi, is, Kol Hashem, Elohei Yisrael, 
the God of Israel said words to the following effect. That's how I would translate it. You understand? Come Hashem. Hashem said something which boils down to the following. Because what he said was, He told it to me in Parshish, which was some time ago, and now I'm applying it. Now, what's shot to kill everybody? <coughs> I'm going to tell you what I understand. I could be wrong, as I always say. What strikes me is here. This is how, this is my interpretation. Um, Moshe comes down, he sees what's going on. He sees that Vayar is a, is a what do you call it? The Mecholos. What's the Lushan over there? Vayar is a Egel and Mecholos. He saw the Egel and the dancing. <clears throat> so let's put it this way. <laughs> Things were out of hand. You had mixed dancing going on, as they say. You had mixed dancing. Vayichar off Moshe and he blew up. The Torah takes the trouble to tell you that it wasn't just the eagle, it was the Mecholos. Vayar is Egel. Maybe he wanted to break in the tablets. If we saw their partying, and Jews were going to like to party, uh, that, he lost it. Now, wait a second. Um, then it goes on to say, he says to Aram, so, listen closely. It doesn't say they stopped partying. All it says is, he just and he physically destroyed the eagle, okay, and it says he made them drink. I don't know what that means because he can't go to three million people and make them drink, right? Uh, you know, Rashi says he, he had, it was like a soto. That's like a medicine. I, 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 he didn't go. You get what I'm saying? You have a couple million people there, six hundred thousand men, adults. How do you take an eagle, even if you melt it down? What's it, a couple gallons or something like that, you know, whatever. And you, what, what do you do then? Spend the next 10 months in line going one person after another, take a sip, take a sip, take a sip, take a sip. I mean, it goes on forever. That's not what happened. So you hear what I'm saying? I told you the stories were strange. And then Moshe, um, and he says to Aaron, what's going on over here? And Aaron basically says, it got out of hand, right? I tried to, to stop, I threw it in, and, and the eagle popped out. Now listen very closely, closely. I showed you before that, you know, the Ari Kappa, there's a hundred interpretations of that. So, obviously, it's juxtaposed for chronological reasons. In other words, the first Pasig is the, re, is the cause of the second. So here's how I understand it. Moshe saw the people was Perua. They were out of control. So you think, they said, oh, Moshe is back. We were wrong. Uh, not true. Moshe came down. He smashed the ego. He, he blew up and he and he destroyed. He, he, I'm, I'm sorry, he smashed the Luchos. Then he destroyed the ego. The people are still partying. The reason they're partying, their mom's out of hand. They're drunk. They're this. It's an orgy. Who the heck knows what's going on? I mean, that's what they're talking about over here. Gilarias doesn't mean that they were having a, a waltz. You understand? So the, the, the place was out of hand. And Moshe sees, Aaron had caused this, this Prius, which means they're they're just out of control. I think that's the best translation. In English today, I think Moshe's out there out of control, which means they were wild and they wouldn't stop partying. 
They won't start carrying going. You're talking about a million people here? Or I don't know how many? Thousands and thousands of people. And it's like crazy. And Moshe is like this. We're going to stop this right now. Mila Shemelai. Everybody get a, a sword and run through the camp and kill everybody you see. And that's going to suppress the riot. It's going to shock everybody. And it did. And it did. Okay? And they go 3,000 people, meaning they saw, I guess, go home. Stop this party right now. No. Ugh. Stab this guy, stab this guy, stab this guy. And then it works. People get the message. <coughs> it's like when you have a, a riot that's out of control. Unlike in our time, in Trump and uh, and Biden, you know, they let the rioters get away with everything. Once upon a time, you know, people went crazy and get a riot. They called in the army or something like that. They just started shooting people, you know, without uh, due process or the rest of it. Because it's called Harusha. It's, it's a martial law. You get it? And so he gets these levies there. And they go out and they kill everybody. And, 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 and that popped the balloon. It, it shocked everybody into reality. And it stopped the party and stopped the whole Parshat Ego. So basically, it means that even though Moshe had done Vayichal up on the mountain, but when he came down, it was like more than he had imagined. And that's why he says you made a big sin to Hashem and all the rest of it. And Hashem says, I want to kill him, you know, and and so forth. And uh, uh, Moshe had to re resort to uh, shock tactics, I guess you'd say. I'm reminded of that story when they had the riots against the Jews in Russia in the early 1880s. The story is, I think it was in Odessa, and, you know, the peasants had been uh, spurred up to it by the authorities, and they were going cry crazy and wild and burning and raping and looting and killing in Jewish neighborhoods. And uh, finally, the Russian authorities wanted to stop it, you know, after they had their fun. And the people can't stop because they're drunk and they're out of control. Paruhu, they're out of control. And the Russian general told them, he's like, I'll stop this right now. And they took one of the first rioters, they just grabbed him, and they picked him up, two Cossacks, and they pulled him apart. Like I pull apart a piece of cheese, you know? And all of a sudden, when everybody saw that, everybody stopped rioting. You get it? So it was like killing the guys in the front of the rioters, and the others went home. That's what it seems to me happened, um, as best as I can tell. Um... But anyway, I've gone very long. So I've given you a taste of what I regard as the fascinating complexities that you find in Parshish Kisiso at the very core of the story. And um, maybe if I if if it works out, I'll, maybe I'll talk about some of this later this week in the context of Tefillah. Anyway, once again, I want to thank the Epsteins and very nice yard site that they made. And um, uh, I wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.